Good evening. If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Pastor approached me on Wednesday night and said, Hey, I'd like for you to preach on Sunday night. And the immediate answer was yes. And uh, the guideline that he gave me was, is don't be like that one person that came and preached for an hour and 47 minutes. They weren't invited back. And so I promise uh, it's only an hour and a half message, but don't worry. Uh, so, you know, uh, but uh, regardless, though, this is opportunity number two to be able to preach in a church house setting for myself. And on March 14, 2010, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And Brother Marr, who would have thought that one day you'd be sitting in a congregation and I would be preaching the Word of God? Uh, I would have told you you were crazy. But uh, it's a surreal moment to be able to stand here before you tonight. And uh, I just want to you know, personally thank those that have had an impact on my ministry. And I want to thank Brother Marr for taking the time to care about my soul, to have a passion to make sure that I knew that I was on my way to heaven. And uh, tonight, uh, this message that I want to preach, please know and understand that this message is not only for you, but I'm also going to be preaching to me this message is for everyone. And so if you will, please look in Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart." And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name, Ye shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Tonight, I want to preach a message on who is the God of your life. Who is the God of your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, Lord. Lord, I beg you for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that your truths will ring out. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts and minds for the message. Lord, I just uh, pray that uh, we come prepared to be able to make a decision. And I pray that the God of the Bible is the God of our life. And we just give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 
we see this chapter starting out with, now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. I took the time to look up the definitions of, uh, from a Webster's 1828 dictionary for these words to make sure that I understood the firm meaning. Commandments, a command, a mandate, an order or injunction given by authority, which might I say that anything from God is from the authority. The word statutes, a special act of the supreme power of a private nature or intended to operate only on an individual or company, something intended as a permanent rule or law. God said it, that should settle it. Judgments, the righteous statutes and commandments of God are called His judgments. I'm reminded of Psalm 119.66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. We see in verse 2 why verse 1 is to be carried out. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. And second, to keep all his statutes and his commandments all the days of thy life. Verse 3, observe to do it. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I understand that this is being written to Israel, God's chosen people. But for the believer, this is also written for us. It is written for our admonition. Fact, God is one Lord. Fact, we are commanded to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. We are commanded to love the Lord with all thy soul and with all thy might. Fact, we are commanded in verse 6 that these words shall be in thine heart. We are commanded in verse 7 that thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. We are commanded in verse 8 that thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Fact, in verse 9... We are commanded that thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And in verse 12, we see a warning. We see the word beware. Why do we see this warning? Beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I wonder how many of us in here tonight, if we were to be honest with ourselves would say, we have forgotten the Lord who has brought us out of the bondage of sin. I wonder how many of us, if we were uh, to be honest tonight, would say that we have failed verse 13, which tells us, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him. I wonder how many of us in here tonight would be honest that we have failed verse 14, which tells us, ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. I wonder how many of us in here tonight would be honest that we have failed to honor verses 15 through 18 that tells us, For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Turn with me over to Exodus. let's, Let's look at this Massa. Book of Exodus. It's going to be chapter 17. Verse 1, Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. 
Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock and horb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Amazing how often we're so short-minded we forget the blessings that God gives us. We continue on, verse, uh, continue on, it says, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee, and thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Let me ask you again, who is the God of your life? Who is the God of your life? Point number one, who is the God of your life at church? Who is the God of your life at church? This should be an easy question. Should be an easy question to answer. God has given us this book with his word telling us exactly what his thoughts are when it comes to our life. God has told us his word and what the church is. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. You cannot convince me that there is not power in the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The pillar and the ground of the truth. We have that plaque back there, Madison Baptist Church. Praise the Lord. This is the 39th anniversary of a church that is the pillar and the ground of the truth. I love coming to church. I love coming to hear the word of God being preached. And recently I had someone ask me if, uh, why Christians should go to church. If they know their Lord, if they know that they're on their way to heaven, why should they have to go to church is how the question was posed to me. And immediately two scriptures came to mind. The first one is, is Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. When the church, the body of Christ assembles, we need to assemble. If it's Saturday morning soul winning, guess what? We need to be there. If it's uh, October 31st uh, for this event, for this festival, fall festival, guess what? Church is assembling, we need to be there. Exhorting one another. This means encouraging one another's. I tell you what, it does me good to see my fellow brothers and sisters at church. Ronnie? It does me good to see you. Brother Dale, does me good to see you. Alan, same way. I could just go and name person after person. It does me good. And we should be looking around and praising God for those that are assembled here tonight. To God be the glory. When the church assembles, we should be here. 
I think about also the second verse is Romans 10, 17. We know this one. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's correct. One thing that Jesus repeated time and time again to the disciples. Ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. I don't expect us to turn to it. I want to keep that hour and 45 minutes. I want to be below there. But we're going to go to, uh, it's, it's looking at Matthew. Four times in Matthew and once in Luke. I'm just going to give you the scripture reference. I'm going to read the verse. Matthew 6.30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Matthew 8.26. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Matthew 14, 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Matthew 16, 8. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Over in Luke, last one, Luke 12, 28. Then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast in the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? If the disciples could suffer of having little faith, and they walked with Jesus, they supped with Jesus, they spoke with Jesus. If they can suffer with little, little faith, guess what? We, we need church. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We need to be in church. We need to hear the word of God being preached to increase our faith. This increase in faith, in our faith, directly impacts our belief in God Almighty. Hebrews eleven six. 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When our faith in God Almighty increases, our life changes. And it becomes a life we live in order to make it count for Jesus. Let me ask you. When you came to church tonight, what were your intentions? When you were fellowshipping with fellow church believers, what were your intentions? When we were singing the hymns, what were your intentions? When we opened the Bible to the scriptures, what were your intentions? We should ask these questions every time we come to church because if we're not careful, we can become unintentional in our walk with God. Your intentions say a lot about who you are and your intentions show you who your God really is. I think about Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Is this true? If we were to be honest with ourselves, examine our lives, examine who we are in Christ, would it be a truthful statement? Or would it be a lie? When it comes to church, when it comes to God... We cannot take it lightly. We must cherish the times we have together. Because as Ephesians 5, 16 and 17 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Folks, look around. We're in some perilous times. We've got wickedness abounding. We don't even even blush at the sin that goes on with the nakedness, the homosexuality on television. It's all around us. 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What the will of the Lord is. How do we get this understanding? By taking the God of the Bible for your life at church. We cannot use God's word as if it was a buffet system. When it comes to hearing the, the preaching of the word of God, if we believe that the word of God is infallible, if we believe that this is the inspired word of God, we must also receive all the teachings in the Bible as coming directly from God and not man. But too often we want to look at this book right here and say, oh, it's like that. It's like just like those books in the library. It's not. Man, 2 Timothy 3, 16 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Yet, we don't have to look very far to find someone complaining about the teaching in the Bible. Whether it be on God's view of homosexuality, which is still an abomination. God's view on murdering innocent babies within the mother's womb, which uh, the safest place for any baby should be in the mother's womb. God's view on male and female roles within the church. Even God's view on marriage, on dating, on a man and a woman not touching until they say, I do. I'm simply asking, who is the God of your life at church? Which brings us to point number two. Who is the God of your life at work? Who is the God of your life at work? I asked the questions earlier about what your intentions were when it comes to church. Now, let me ask you. And, and also, by the way, young person, you can substitute this and say, who, who is the God of your life at school? What does your work ethic say about you? What does your testimony say about you? What does the God of your life look like when you're at work versus when you're at church? Truthfully, we know the God of our life should be the same, whether we are at church or at work. But sadly, even though we know this should be true, sometimes it's easy for us to be a different person at work versus who we are when we get to church. Looks pretty good. Yep. Oh, yeah. I think it would be a shame for any Christian to partake and the dirty jokes and filthy talk that occurs in most companies are what some would consider the water cooler talk. We are called to be a separated people, a peculiar people, a peculiar people that brings honor and glory to God. Honor and glory to God with our walk. Honor and glory to God with our talk. Honor and glory to God with our life. Turn with me over to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. General Electric Power Company. That's, man, I'll never forget the first time that I heard that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So now if you ever hear me say General Electric Power Company, you know I'm looking for one of those books. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The problem is too often we end up getting caught up 
and what is happening around us. And before we know it, we are sucked into so much negativity of the world that we can lose our way. Seek those things which are above. Set your affections on things above. Your life is hid with Christ in God. But before we can do those things, we need to know what direction we're going in. New York Yankee baseball great Yogi Berra once said, we have no idea where we're going, but we're making great time. And I wonder how many Christians are just like this. They say, I have no idea uh, where I'm going with the Lord, but I'm headed full steam ahead. God tells us where we need to be. God tells us what we need to do. God tells us what we need to focus on. Yet too often, we focus on the wrong things. Too often, people want to major in the minor things of life. Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Finishing off Colossians 3.22, don't turn back there, I'll read it to you. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. When it comes to our work, we need to figure out who we are serving. Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. How different would our country be if we had people that made the decision today that I'm going to serve the God of this Bible? How different would our churches be if uh, our people would say, I'm going to put in the same effort for God that I put in at work? How different would it be? I believe too often... We give God the leftovers and fail to give him our best. We're willing to give just enough to make us feel good. But we expect God to greatly bless our lives. There is the quote. Pray as though everything depended on God, which, by the way, it does. And work as though everything depended on you. Whoa. What would happen? We talk about fall revival. If we would work as if the success of this fall revival depended upon us. I don't doubt that we're going to pray for success. I don't doubt that we're going to pray for a revival to take place. Probably in somebody else's life, not ours, because we're okay. But what would happen if we would work towards making, reaching the world part of our job? And we did it unto the Lord and not unto men. We need to make sure that the God of your life at work is the same God of the Bible. Who is the God of your life at church? Who is the God of your life at work? Point number three, who is the God of your life at home? Who is the God of your life at home? God instituted marriage, and despite what the world will tell you, marriage is between a man and a woman. Sometimes we just need to hear what God's word says. And in Genesis 2.24, clears it up. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Jesus spoke about it, Matthew 19.4-6. through 6. 
He said, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Scripture tells us, Whosoever findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Proverbs 18.22. Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I say this to lay down a foundation of how important our homes are. I'm speaking to you, wives. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit, un- uh, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. I'm speaking to you, husbands. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. I'm speaking to you, children. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. I'm speaking to you, fathers. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. An important verse, though, is Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Psalm 11.3, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we have an attack going on in society trying to destroy the home. Might I remind you what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, my adversary, our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Your home, he wants it. You're going to let him have it? Your kids, he wants them. Will you give them to him? Your marriage, he wants it to end in divorce. Will you give up? Your faith, he wants to attack it. Will you give in to him? I wonder how many homes have been destroyed because the God of the Bible is not the God of the home. How many families do we have that look good superficially on the outside, but on the inside behind closed doors, there is a full-out attack by the devil? How many families do we have that are on the verge of collapse because the God of the Bible is not the God in their home? I was a drunk. I was verbally and physically abusive to my wife. And we were as close to divorce as you can come. My family was this close to becoming another statistic. But by the grace of God, we are here today. October 9th, will be 21 years since we had our first date. And I love her, Erhan, more today than, when I, than the day we got married. My family, life, my family life was not right because I was not right with God. Husbands, do you love your wife the way Christ loved the church? I hear people say that marriage is 50-50, and this is the most ignorant thing a person can say because the truth is, is marriage is 100-100. Marriage is not 50-50, divorce is. Marriage has got to be 100%, 100%. You give 100%, your spouse gives 100%. It isn't dividing everything in half, but giving everything you've got. God has given us the command of how we are to be towards our spouse. This morning, Brother Jeff talked about being a a, a new man, coming back from this men's retreat. And I'm going to tell you, I was looking forward to just spending some time with my wife. My wife and I, we have date nights. 
And date nights are so vital to helping out marriage because guess what? Here in just a few short years, it's just going to be you and me. That's it. That scares me. Because guess what, guys? Ladies, I only have one shot. What scares me, not trying to be funny, what scares me is I have one shot at those two right there. It's do or die. It's make or, there's no do-overs. I can't rewind the tape. I can't go back. We have one shot. It scares me. So I want to set the example for my home. So, you know, date night. We got to have it last night. Just me and her, her and me. And you ask, what did you guys do? I got to spend time with my wife. I got to spend time with the mother of my girls. I got to spend time with the one who has captivated my heart. I got to hold her hand. I got to hold the door for her. I got to pay the bill. (laughs) I got to look her in the eyes and tell her that I love her. We have nicknames for each other. And I wonder how many people in here have nicknames for their significant other. I, at first, I was like, well, I'm going to call them people. And, but then I was like, no, this could be really embarrassing. This could be. And some people, their nickname might not be fit for church. And this is uh, broadcasted over the Internet. So we want to we keep it down. But as you heard me uh, call my wife, her, her, her maiden name was Erhan. And uh, that's her nickname to me. And it's something that's very endearing between the two of us. And she will forever be Erhan to me. And um, I want my wife to love me. And I want to uphold the promise that I so solemnly swore before God and that preacher and our parents and those in attendance back on May 31st, 2003. What about you? Have you honored the promises to each other that, made, that you made on your wedding day? Or have you allowed things to slip? Guys, you can't point a finger because when you point one finger, you got three pointing right back at you. 100%, are you willing to give it? When it comes to your home, what do your kids see? Do they see hypocrisy from mom and dad? Do they see one standard at church and another standard at home? Who is the God of your life at home? Is it the God of this Bible? All I'm saying is, is we have one shot at life. We cannot get today back. What are we missing out on tomorrow because we failed to take care of today? We must protect our home. And the God of the Bible needs to be the God of our life at home. At home, it needs to be, thus saith the Lord. Turn with me over to Psalm 78.1. Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78. Who is the God of your life? Psalm chapter 78, beginning in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, 
that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Tonight, maybe we need to do business at the altar as a family because we realize that the God of the Bible is not the God of our life at home. Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who is the God of your life at church? Who is the God of your life at work? Who is the God of your life at home? Which finally brings us to point number four. Who is the God of your life at heart? One of the wicked things that I hear most often spewed is for people to just listen to their hearts and they will never go wrong. I stand before you to tell you I can personally remember saying the same thing. What an idiot. What an idiot. All because I thought it sounded good. But that was before I read my Bible and saw what God says about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me. When ye shall search for me with all your heart. This is coming up. Fall revival. Thus saith the Lord. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. God's promise to us. We've got it. We're just a few weeks away. But, you know, the problem is, is we don't like the old ways. We don't like thus saith the Lord. We want it to be different. But guess what? When we do that, we are walking contrary to the word of God. We can be 95% obedient. But guess what? We're still 100% disobedient to God. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. Where's your heart? Better question, where's your treasure? Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And I think about Psalm 119, 10, 11. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm ninety twelve. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. There could be somebody here that has never placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible lets us know that. There was a point in time that I thought my good works were going to take me to heaven. 
But it wasn't until I had somebody ask me the question, if you were to die today, do you know that you'd make it to heaven? And I'm forever thankful for, for Brother Tommy Moore that he cared. Psalm 19.14, I'm sorry, yes, Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We need to protect our heart. We need to keep our heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Lamentation 3.51, mine eye affecteth mine heart. Uh, I'm reminded of the story of the football player. He was a skinny young boy who loved football with all his heart. Practice after practice, he eagerly gave everything he had. But being half the size of the other boys, he got absolutely nowhere. At all the games, this hopeful athlete sat on the bench and hardly ever played. This teenager lived alone with his father. And the two of them had a very special relationship. Even though the son was always on the bench, his father was always in the stands cheering. He never missed a game. This young man was still the smallest of the class when he entered high school. His father continued to encourage him, but also made it very clear that he did not have to play football if he didn't want to. But the young man loved football and decided to hang in there. He was determined to try his best at every practice, and perhaps he'd get to play when he became a senior. All through high school, he never missed a practice nor a game, but remained a bench warmer all four years. His faithful father was always in the stands, always with words of encouragement for him. And when the young man went to college, he decided to try out for the, for the football team as a walk-on. And everyone was sure he could never make the cut, but he did. The coach admitted that he kept him on the roster because he always put his heart and soul to every practice. And at the same time, provided the other members with the spirit and hustle they badly needed. The news that he had survived the cut thrilled him so much that he rushed to the nearest phone and called his dad. His dad shared his excitement and was sent season tickets for all the college games. This persistent young athlete never missed practice during his four years at college, but he never got to play in a game. It was the end of his senior football season as he trotted onto the practice field shortly before the big playoff game. The coach met him with a telegram. The young man read the telegram and became deathly silent. Swallowing hard, he mumbled to the coach, My dad died this morning. Is it all right if I miss practice today? The coach put his arm gently around his shoulder, said, take the rest of the week off, son. In fact, don't even plan on coming back to play on the game on Saturday. Saturday arrived and the game was not going well. In the third quarter when the team was down, was 10 points behind, that silent young man quietly slipped into the empty locker room and put on his football gear. As he came out onto the sidelines, the coach and his players were astounded to see their faithful teammate come back so soon. Coach, please let me play. I've got to play today, he said the young man. The coach pretended not to hear him. There was no way he wanted his worst player in this close playoff game. But the young man persisted and finally feeling sorry for the kid, the coach gave in. All right, he said, you can go in. And before long, the coach, the players... And everyone in the stands could not believe their eyes. This little unknown who had never played before was doing everything right. The opposing team could not stop him. He ran, he passed, he blocked, and tackled like a star. His team began to triumph. The score was soon tied. And in the closing seconds of the game, this kid, this nobody, intercepted a pass and ran all the way for the winning touchdown. The fans broke loose. His teammates hoisted him onto their shoulders. Such cheering you've never heard. 
Finally, after the stands had emptied and the team had showered and left the locker room, the coach noticed that this young man was sitting quietly in the corner all alone. The coach came to him and said, Kid, I can't believe it. You were fantastic. Tell me, what got into you? How did you do it? The boy looked at the coach with tears in his eyes and said, Well, you knew my dad died, but did you know that my dad was blind? The young man swallowed hard and forced a smile. Dad came to all my games, but today was the first time he could see me play, and I wanted to show him what I could do. Like the athlete's father, God is always there cheering for us. Our loving God is always reminding us to go on, offering us a hand, knowing what is best, giving what we need, and not simply what we want. God has never missed a single game. What a joy to know that life is meaningful if lived for the highest, lived for the creator who is watching us in the game of life. Life is but a vapor, and for far too many of us, it will be over before we know it, and there will be so many things we will have wished we have done if we would have just settled on one thing, and that is making sure the God of the Bible is the God of our life at church, the God of our life at work, the God of our life at home, and the God of our life at church, at, at heart. If you've never been born again, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, I want you to understand, he died on the cross at Calvary for your sins, for the entire world's sins. He hung on that tree at Calvary. His blood was shed for the remission of sins, the entire world's sins. He was buried, and he bodily arose the third day. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've not gotten it settled, would you? Christian, would you, be, would you answer the question and be honest between you and God? Who is the God of your life? And are there some things that we need to get right tonight? We're going to go ahead and begin the invitation. This is the time. Is the God of your life the same God of the Bible? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. Lord, I just pray that you be with the families, the dads, the moms, the individuals, men, women, children. Lord, I pray that we'll take this as a time to reflect on who the God of our life is. Be with us, guide us, protect us as the invitation begins.